So tonight we're looking at the introduction to Abraham. Now, we've been looking in the book of Genesis up through uh, the first half of chapter number 11, and we have covered a lot of ground. We've had the creation. We've seen the flood. We've seen the Tower of Babel. I mean, we have covered a lot of ground as we've came through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. But now... In Genesis chapter number 11, chapter number 10, or chapter 11, verse number 10, we kind of change our focus. And the next 12 and a half chapters of Genesis deal with Abraham. Here we've, in 11 chapters, we have covered all this information, and now we're going to slow down, and for 12 and a half chapters, we are going to focus on Abraham. We looked last week at the account of the Tower of Babel, and after the Tower of Babel, we see that Moses turns his attention back to the genealogy. Now, if you remember the last half of chapter 10 and all, or the last half of chapter 9 and all of chapter number 10, Moses was recording genealogies. He was recording families. He was writing names. This is what Moses was recording. Then we come to chapter number 11 and Moses tells us about the Tower of Babel, which was a significant event in history. He tells us how that affected mankind. And of course, we looked a couple of weeks at all that Tower of Babel meant uh, for mankind in history now today, uh, but now after he has told us about the Tower of Babel there in nine verses, he turns his attention back to the genealogy. So verse number 10 down through the rest of the chapter, he turns his focus back to the genealogy. But when Moses turns his focus back to the genealogy, it seems that his focus is not so much on drawing the entire line, but his focus is primarily on drawing up the family tree of this guy called Abram. This seems to be the focus of Moses. In verse 10 down through verse number 26, and you'll see there on your worksheet uh, that you have a, uh, a genealogy or a family tree there. You might want to follow along with that a little bit as we go through this. Uh, but in verse 10 down through verse number 26 of chapter 11, Moses backs up to Noah's son Shem, and then he follows the genealogy through Arphaxad to Peleg the same way he had done in chapter 10. But after Peleg, in chapter number 10 after Peleg, he goes through the line of Peleg's son, Jokton. Here in chapter number 11, he turns his attention to Peleg's son, Reu. So let's read in Genesis chapter number 11. We're going to start in verse number 10, and we're going to read down through this genealogy, and, um, and then we'll come back to the lesson and look at what the Lord has for us here in this introduction to Abraham. The Bible says in Genesis 11, verse number 10, and you know, this is, this is very daring for me to just openly read a genealogy in front of y'all, okay? So be very forgiving. All right, Genesis chapter number 11, verse number 10. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad 500 years and begat sons and daughters. And Arphaxad lived five and 30 years and begat Selah. And Arphaxad lived after he begat Selah 403 years and begat sons and daughters. And Selah lived 30 years and begat Eber. And Selah lived after he begat Eber 403 years and begat sons and daughters. And Eber lived 4 and 30 years and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after he begat Peleg 430 years and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and begat Reu. Now I'll just stop here and say if you were to read this same account in Genesis chapter number 10, you'll see when we come to Peleg, it'll say Peleg begat 
Jockton. So we're changing directions here. Uh, he lived 30 years and begat Ryu. And Peleg lived after he begat Ryu 209 years and begat sons and daughters. And Ryu lived 2 and 30 years and begat Sirug. And Ryu lived after he begat Sirug 207 years and begat sons and daughters. And Sirug lived 30 years and begat Nahor. And Sirug lived after he begat Nahor 200 years and begat sons and daughters. And Nahor lived 9 and 20 years and begat Terah. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of their nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came into Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died. In Haran. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that we have this privilege and this opportunity to come together to your house. And Lord, to take some time to, Lord, just dig into your word. And Lord, to understand the truths of your word. Father, Lord, as we look at this introduction to Abraham, Lord, a man who is so vital to the remainder of the Word of God and even uh, so vital to even uh, the things that are happening today. Father, as we look at this introduction to Abraham, Father, I pray that you will help us, uh, Lord, to maybe get a better understanding, uh, Father, of uh, the, the, the family of Abraham and those leading up uh, to his calling, the things leading up to that. But then, Father, help us also to make application to ourselves. Uh, Father, as we look at this, I pray, and Father, we'll thank you for it. I pray to Lord, that you will be with the children's ministries downstairs. Uh, be it Brother Aiden as he's uh, teaching the children. Be it Brother Kent as he's teaching the teens. Father, I pray that you will just bless and be with them. Thank you, Lord, for how you've blessed that ministry. Thank you for how it's grown. I pray to Lord that you will bless those men as they minister. I pray that as they plant the seed of the Word of God in the hearts of these young people, uh, Lord, that they will take it to heart. And, Lord, that it will affect them throughout their lives, Father, I pray. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we see this line and we stopped, paused, and we read and we see this line uh, of going towards Abraham. We've seen that after real was Serug, and Serug was the father of Nahor, who was the father of Terah. And after Terah, Moses seemed to pause and he highlighted the three sons of Terah. Now up until this point, he's just picking one son and moving on. But here he highlights the three sons of Terah, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And each of these men are of great significance in what is to follow in the remainder of the story about Abraham. So we see here that Moses, in this genealogy, Moses establishes the Messianic line of Christ from Adam to Seth, from Seth to Noah, and from Noah to Abraham. We have established the Messianic line of Christ all the way through. God had promised a Messiah, and now we are introduced to the man uh, who would birth the nation that the rest of the Bible hinges upon. We have came to a crucial point in the Word of God. The importance of Abraham is noted when we, when we consider, as I said, that the next... The, from here to chapter number 25, we are looking 
at Abraham. These chapters are dedicated to the life and pilgrimage of this man Abraham. In verse 27 down through verse number 32, we're given a brief overview of the development of Abram's family tree and some considerations of his calling and following God. And so we've got the worksheet there uh, on your, uh, or the family tree there on your worksheet. And so if you look at that, we can see some notable people uh, there on that genealogy. The first one that we see here that I want to point out to you is Terah. Terah is the father of Abraham, Haran, and Nahor. If you look here, you'll see, and this is something interesting to point out, you see Serug, Nahor, Terah, and then after Terah, you see that there was uh, Sarai, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, something interesting to point out to you is that just like we do today, we name our kids after our parents, they did that then because Terah had a father named Nahor and he had a son named Nahor. So it's just interesting to note that they still, or that we still do what they did then. Um, so we see here uh, that Terah had these three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, the next person that we want to point out is Haran. Now, the Bible tells us, as we read in our text, that Haran died before Terah while they were still in Ur the Chaldees. And so Haran died there, but before Haran died, he gave birth to a son, Lot. And of course, we know that Lot uh, was the young man who traveled with Abraham. And we're going to look more at this in just a little bit. But he was the guy who would travel with Abraham and uh, and then later on, uh, we, Lot would go his own way. But we see here there's Terah, then there's Haran, the father of Lot. Next we see Nahor. Now Nahor is important uh, to us because Nahor is the grandfather of Rebekah. So now you remember that uh, Abraham had Isaac and Isaac married Rebekah. And so Nahor was the grandfather of Rebekah and Nah, uh, who was the wife of Isaac. And then Nahor was also the great-grandfather of Rachel and Leah, uh, who were the daughters of Laban, who became the wives of Jacob, Isaac's son. And so you see how all this is tied together and these men are important because it helps us see how this family tree ties together. And then the fourth notable person that we have here in our text is, of course, Sarai, the wife of Abram, who, as we find out later on in the Word of God, was actually the half-sister of Abram, which we see here that we've got some folks marrying their half-sisters, their nieces, and these things, but this was prior to God giving the law that forbade uh, intermarriage. And so at this time, it was not against the law of God, and many times families would uh, intermarry. And so this was actually very common in that day. Now, when we look at this text here in Genesis chapter number 11, uh, we know that prior to being called out by God, Abram dwelt with his family in the Babylonian empire in a land that was called Ur of the Chaldees. This is what the Bible tells us here in chapter number 11, uh, that they dwelt in Ur of the Chaldees. Ur of the Chaldees was part of the Babylonian empire. We know from history that Ur of the Chaldees was a flourishing area that was devoted to the worship of the moon. So here in Ur of the Chaldees, uh, they were a flourishing area, they were doing very good, and they worshipped the moon. According to Joshua chapter number 24 and verse number 2, prior to his calling from God, Abram was involved in this pagan worship. Now, many times you don't think about the fact that Abram worshipped false gods before he was called out, but Joshua 24 verse number 2 says, 
And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So we see that Terah and his family was involved in this pagan worship here in the land of Urichaldes. You know, as I looked at this, putting this lesson together, I thought, you know, just as God called Abraham out of worship of false gods and called him to follow the true and living God, God is still today sending out the call that men and women would turn from the gods of this world and give their hearts to the one true and living God. Abraham was a man who was caught up in idolatry, but whenever God spoke, he answered. And that's what made Abraham different than all the rest. And you know that's what makes us different, is God called and we answered the call. And that call is open to whosoever will. In Genesis chapter number 12, verse 1 through 3, we see the details of God's calling on Abraham. So if you turn over there just one page, you'll see the calling of God on Abraham. And we'll probably come back and look at this passage again next week. But just to look at the details of the calling, we see here in Genesis 12 and verse number 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So we see here in Genesis 12, 1, that God called Abraham. God said, Abraham, I want you to leave this country, leave your family, leave everything that you've ever known, and I want you to go to a land that I'll show you. And Abraham, if you obey me, I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll protect you. Abraham, if you obey me, this is what I'll do for you. Now, something interesting to note here is the Bible teaches us that if we understand the Word of God, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. Otherwise, we'll sometimes get a wrong interpretation of the Word of God. Because when we look in Genesis chapter number 11, we see that Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his son's son and Sarai his daughter-in-law, the son of Abram, uh, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And you, and you read this and you see, okay, so Terah picked up his family and Terah moved on. Then we come to chapter number 12, and if we're not careful, we'll get the idea that God didn't call Abraham t- until Abraham was in Haran. But if we compare Scripture with Scripture, we will find out that God had called Abraham when Abraham was in Ur of the Chaldees. In Acts chapter number 7, in Acts chapter number 7, verse 2 through 4, we see that Abraham received this call of God while he was still living in Ur of Chaldees with his family. In Acts chapter number 7 and in verse number 2, and he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharan. Now, Sharan would be the same as Haran. So he spoke to him in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharan and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Sharan. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land 
wherein you now dwell. So we can see from Acts chapter number 7 that Abraham was called while he was in Ur of the Chaldees. So by looking at this, we can see that there is an overlap between the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, and chapter number 11, and the end of chapter number 11. So there's an overlap there. And you say, why is that important? Because when we look at that, we get a more fuller picture of what was going on in Abraham's life. You see, here is Abraham. He lives with his father. Uh, he lives here in Ur of the Chaldees. He's living in a pagan land, worshiping pagan gods. And God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to pick up and move out. I want you to go to a land that I have called you to. Apparently, Abram shared this news with his family. He told Terah about it. He told Nahor about it. He told a lot about it. He told Sarah about it. This is what God has called me to do. And apparently, they started buying into it, at least Tara and Lot. They, they bought into it and said, we're going to go with you, Abram. We're going to go with you. Now, I know that God had told Abram to leave his kindred. I believe in God telling Abram that. He was saying, you need to be... You need to move out. You need to leave home. I don't believe God was telling Abram that he couldn't take his family with him. God was just saying you need to leave where you're at and go to where I've called you. But Terah and Lot come with him. But we see in our text in Genesis chapter number 11 that Abram only partially obeyed because he journeyed from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran. Now in Genesis chapter number 11, it seems that the responsibility is laid on Terah, that it was Terah's idea to park in Haran. This was Terah's idea. So it's about 500 miles from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran. They get to Haran, and Terah says, we're parking here. The only problem is that Haran is still in the Babylonian Empire. Now, Haran was a much more remote community, not flourishing near like Ur of the Chaldees, but Haran was also known for worshiping the moon. So they left Ur of the Chaldees, as God had said, but they parked in Haran, still in a pagan land, still surrounded by people worshiping this false god. They stopped there and stayed until the death of Terah. Now, it's interesting to note whenever we look at Abram's family that there's, there's an application could be made here. We see that they went to Haran and they parked there. Now I want to just show you a little application here. Whenever we look, we'll, we'll come back to Terah in just a second, but whenever we look at Abram's family, we see first that Nahor never left Ur of the Chaldees. Now it seems, and I know that we're assuming here, and so we have to be cautious when we assume, but it does seem that Abram shared what God had told him with his family. For some reason, they, Terah was willing to go with him. So it seems that he shared, but Nahor never left. So we see that Nahor, in your worksheet there, Nahor was the one who stayed. Nahor never left. He heard, but he stayed. He could have traveled with Abram. He could have pursued the God who called out Abram, but he stayed behind. Now you say, well, what's, what's significant about that? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter number 31, you'll read about Laban. Laban is the grandson of Nahor. Okay? Laban is the father of Rachel and Leah. We know that Jacob, the son of Isaac, comes and works for Laban. He marries Rachel and Leah. After some time, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah leave. 
When they leave, Rachel steals some graven images that belong to Laban. Laban follows them, finds them where they've set up camp. Laban says, somebody stole my gods. And him and Jacob get in a big fight. Jacob says, whoever you find them with, you know, you can deal with them. He looks. Rachel sits on the gods, hides them. All this stuff's in the Bible. If you think the Bible's boring, it's all in there. Rachel hides them and sits on them, tells Laban she's unable to get up. Laban can't find the gods. Jacob says, you should have never accused me. They part ways on very bad terms. Now, here's what I'm wanting to point out. Nahor could have left, or the Chaldees. He could have left the pagan worship, but Nahor stayed. And now we see Nahor's grandson and his great-granddaughter still worshiping false gods. You know what? When God calls to go, we need to go. I believe there are many people who miss what God has for them because we just want to stay. But we see that Nahor was the one who stayed. It's also eye-opening to realize that although Terah did leave with Abram, and we already looked at this a little bit, uh, most likely swayed by Abram's account of what God had called him to do, that Terah did start, but Terah didn't stay the course because Terah became the one who stopped. We see that Nahor was the one who stayed, but Terah is the one who who stopped. Terah started. He did better than Nahor. He stepped out. He began the journey. He had enough faith to start, but he didn't have enough faith to sustain. He had enough, He believed enough to get going, but after 500 miles, his confidence had left. He just didn't know if he was buying into this anymore. He was the one who stopped. He parked his wagon in Haran. He was still there in the Babylonian Empire. He was still in a region that worshipped the moon. Nahor stayed behind. He never followed God. Terah stepped out, but he stopped following God. And if you read on, you will find that Lot, the son of Haran, continued with Abram for a while. Lot continued for some time. As we'll see as we continue through the story of Abram, we don't want to go into all the details now. Lot followed with Abram until he saw the plains of Jordan. And then Lot said, I would rather go enjoy the sensual pleasures of Sodom than to continue following the God of Abram. And we see that Lot became the one who strayed. Lot became the one who strayed. Each of these men had heard. Each of these men knew of God's calling on Abram. But each man fell short of experiencing what God had promised because they stayed, stopped, or strayed. You say, Pastor John, are you saying whether these men were lost or saved? I'm not really going that deep. You could apply it either way. I believe there are those who hear the call of God to salvation and never move, and therefore they never accept Christ. I believe there are those who hear the call of salvation, they become interested in the things of God, they try it out for a while, and then they burn out on it and never truly accept God. I believe there are those who maybe grow up in church, can quote Bible like you've never seen. They can tell you the doctrines. They can ask questions that pastors can't answer. They know it inside and out. But they are more attracted to the things of the world than they are the things of God, and they never truly accept Christ as Savior. I think all of these can apply to those who are lost, but I think all of these can apply to those who are saved. I believe they are those 
who God has called them to salvation and after salvation, God's like, come on, I've got big things for you. And they're like, oh no, salvation's all I need and they never go any further and never experience what God has got for them. I believe there are those who get saved and God says, come on, I've got big things for you and they step out to follow God. And they're like Peter. When Peter stepped out to walk on the water, they step out, but they see the waves, they see the trouble, they lose their faith and they begin to sink and they're like, you know what, God? I'm content just sitting in my pew. I don't think I need all that commitment. And again, they never experience all that God has in store for them. I believe there are those who are saved who are following God, who are living for God, who see the temptations of the world and they leave following God to pursue the temptations of the world and they cut short their life here on earth according to the word of God and they miss the blessings that God has in store for them. So I think that these three men could be examples of either one, but they are definite examples that when you stop short of what God's got for you, you miss the blessings. But if we continue to look, we see in Acts 7 and verse number 4, which we read a minute ago, in Genesis 12 and verse number 4, that after Terah's death, Abram said, Sarah, God told us to leave. I know we stopped here with Dad. The Bible doesn't tell us whether God approved or disapproved of Abram stopping. It could have been because of Terah's health. We, we do not know the reason exactly. But after Terah's death, Abram said, Sarah, God called us to go and it's time we pack our wagon and we head out again. And Abram took off uh, again. And you know as we read the story of Abram, as you'll see as we go through this, Abram was anything but perfect. He made some pretty big mistakes. He did some stuff that I'm telling you, makes it hard to respect him if he weren't the man that God said he was. I mean, whenever you just deny your wife and leave her at the hands of Egyptian armies, uh, I mean, this isn't much of a husband. I'm telling you, this guy, he's got some serious problems. Abram made some huge mistakes. Abram wasn't perfect. But Abram had one thing that was different from all the rest of his family. Abram remained faithful to God. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a just man falleth seven times but he riseth yet again. I had someone ask me uh, here uh, a while back, they asked me, they, they were asking about the assurance of their salvation. And they said, but what about when you fall? And I said, did you get back up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I get up and I keep trying, but, but I just, I mean, I fall. What? And I said, the Bible says, a the Bible doesn't say that a just man doesn't fall. It says that a just man riseth up again. And if you are of the character, if your life has been of the character, that yes, you've made mistakes, yes, you've stumbled and fall, but every time you get your heart right with God and you get back on your feet and you continue following God, that is faithfulness. Abraham made some big mistakes, but one thing that was characteristic of Abraham, he got back up. Terah fell and he stayed. Um, Lot fell and he strayed. Abraham fell, but he got back up. Over and over again, Abraham stayed faithful. Abraham believed God. And because of that, Abraham became known as the one who succeeded. Abraham was the one who succeeded. Because Abraham believed, because Abraham believed God 
and he was motivated by that faith to remain faithful to God, Abraham witnessed the promise and miraculous power of God in birthing a nation through Abraham. He was the one that succeeded. He saw the promise come to pass. This is what God has promised, and Abraham saw it come to pass. You know, whenever we look at Abram and Sarai, now Abram and Sarai, their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah in chapter number 17, and we'll get to that. But Abraham and Sarah are a remarkable picture of the tendency of God to work outside of the expectations of man. God specializes in working outside of our expectations. We, we can't help ourselves. Whenever we're trying to figure out how God's going to do it, if we're trying to figure out who God's going to use, we have certain circumstances. We have certain types of people that we look to. Oh, this person's got skills and talents. This person's got gifts. This person has these abilities. Yes, this is who God will use. And many times God will take the person you least expect and do great and mighty things with them. This is who God is. And Abraham and Sarah are a great example of God's tendency to do this. Abraham was chosen to be the father of a nation. And the first thing the Bible tells us about Abraham's wife is that she was childless. I mean, when you're going to be the father of a nation, that's a poor choice. I mean, that's just, you're starting off bad right here. But Sarah was childless, the first thing the Bible tells us about her. Abraham and Sarah were the least likely people to be able to build a nation. But God's ways are not our ways. And by calling and blessing a barren couple, God made it clear that the nation of Israel was his work. He made it clear that this was something he had put his hand on. Man can't take credit for this because it couldn't have even been started outside of the miraculous hand of God. God showcased his greatness and his power and his glory in using Abraham and Sarah. You know, the next time the devil jumps on your back and tells you that you're not able or you're not qualified or you're not... You're not you don't have what it takes. Just tell the devil that that makes you more qualified because that's the kind of people God likes to pick. That's the type of people God likes to use. So as long as the devil's on your shoulder telling you you're not qualified, if you interpret that through God's lens, he's really being a cheerleader. He's cheering you on because this is who God wants to work through. There was no question that the nation of Israel was a work of God because God started with Abraham and Sarah. Whenever we look at the previous lessons and the first part of chapter number 11, we're looking at the Tower of Babel, we see a comparison between man's attempt to build a nation and God's attempt to build a nation. At the Tower of Babel, we see uh, that man depended on large numbers they depended on powerful people. This is how we're going to make a nation. There's a lot of us. We're going to stay together. We've got this earthly product. We're going to combine. We're going to build a nation. God started with two people who weren't able to have children. Completely opposite. The people at Babel endeavored to make a name for themselves. They said, we're going to come together and build this tower and we'll make a name for ourselves. God said to Abraham, you leave it to me, and I'll make you a great name. You just leave it in my hands, and I will make you a great name. The project at Babel was based on the wisdom of the world. They based what they were going to do on what they had 
the knowledge that they had garnered to that point. They said, we're going to be able to accomplish all this because of all that we've learned and all that we know. They based it on the wisdom of the world. Abraham and Sarah, they simply had to trust what God had said. They, they really had nothing else to go on. All they could do was say, God said this was what was going to happen. Now the Bible tells us, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, getting into next week's lesson, but the Bible tells us that when they left Haran, Abraham was 75 years old. Sarah's barren. God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. When Abraham was 99 years old, God said, all right, now it's time. You know what? They could do nothing but trust God. There was no sign. There was nothing that indicated that they were going to have children. There was nothing that indicated that this was going to work out any other way. They, all they had to go on. Now, Abraham made some mistakes, and we'll look at those. But all they could do was trust God. God said, we're going to make a nation out of you. And God did what he said. The Tower of Babel was built in the energy of the flesh. The Tower of Babel was motivated by the pride of man. But the nation of Israel was built on the grace and power of God in spite of human weakness. God said, I'm going to take these two people, incapable, unqualified, the wrong people for the job, and I'm going to build a nation. The people of Babel said, we've got everything we need. Look at who we are. And they failed. But God said, you leave it to me, and I will build a nation. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 8 through 10, talking about Abraham. It says, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. How different from those that built the Tower of Babel. But how much more successful was Abraham who believed God? You know, if we learn nothing else from the life of Abraham, and we'll be looking a lot at Abraham over the next few weeks, if we learn nothing else, we should learn this, oh, that we might be like Abraham and reject the wisdom of this world and follow hard after the principles of the Word of God. The songwriter said, To God be the glory. Great things He hath done. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, part of where I got this saying that's on the wall, Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Moses said to the children of Israel, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know what? Man in his own power is nothing. But man in the hand of God is unstoppable. We see here in Genesis chapter number 11 a comparison between man and God. Man failed. And according to earthly considerations, he had everything he needed, but he failed. But God started with what man would consider nothing and built a great nation. If we learn nothing else from this lesson, we learn this, that God's way is the best way. Amen. Amen. Hope as a blessing to you this evening. I definitely enjoyed putting it together. So I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Amen. All right.